There we go. Episode 63. It is a brand new Stick to Hockey Live. It is Jason Martinez. It is Anthony DeMarco. It is the Flyers offseason in the uh, first round, middle of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, which have been unbelievably fascinating night in and night out. But uh, we'll talk about that momentarily. Ant, what's going on? Not too much, man. Uh, It seems like spring is finally here. And I mean, playoffs are underway. Really good game with Toronto and Tampa last night. It looks like Toronto is maybe finally turning a corner, right? Yeah, um, some gutty wins. First, they get the O'Reilly tying goal and the Riley winner the other night to take the 2 1 series lead. And then last night, again, they get it done and the huge comeback in that game. That's just not, not used to seeing Tampa spit one up. Yeah, I know it's, but you know, Hedman, I, I would imagine he's still playing her Chernak, you know, he's out. And I saw this stat, I, forget, I think it was Mark Masters of TSN who said the three guys who averaged the most ice time against the Leafs last year were Hedman, Chernak and McDonough. McDonough's not there anymore. Hedman is presumably playing injured and obviously Chernak hasn't been available. So, I mean, it just goes to show the magnitude of those players not being at 100% for the Tampa Bay lightning on the back end. Yeah. And they're just not as deep as they were. And that's one thing that I think that, that Toronto's exposing as well. Plus Toronto got, I mean, some really good goaltending the other night from Samsonov, uh, a little surprised by how well he played his playoff record. Come, I think coming into this series was one in six. So he, he's a huge X factor if they're going to get by Tampa and then move on to the second round and we'll see who they face. I mean, it's an interesting series with, you know, Jersey loses both games at home, five to one score in both of them. And then they go to New York and they win both. I'm going, what is going on here all of a sudden? And Lindy Ruff's teams are resilient, but geez, I didn't know if they'd be able to, to draw even with the rags. I played the rags last night thinking that would be a walk in the park, but that was not the case. And Akira Schmidt's been a huge difference. Yeah, and I got to ask you, as someone who lives down there, is there really home ice advantage between Jersey and the ra- and the Rags, like when they're going back and forth? It, probably not much. I, I think home ice advantage is overrated anymore to begin with, let alone when you can invade the other team's building with a commute that might even be shorter to the team you like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, so, and I even, I even I even realized that uh, in Tor- in Tampa last night, there was a lot of Toronto fans, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm a wrestling fan, so Edge and Christian were in the building. Obviously, they're uh, they're Toronto-based guys, so that was cool to see. And then you have the the stuff going on out west, like Seattle's making it a hell of a series. It looks Ooh. like Winnipeg may finally uh, be dead in the water there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Seattle, you know what? I, I, I picked Colorado in five. I almost immediately regretted it, but I just didn't give them a hope in hell because of Philip Grubauer. He was the X factor to me. Well, not so much the X factor, but he was kind of like a really big factor in terms of if Seattle was going to be able to play, uh, keep up with uh, Colorado. But he's done better than expected, especially after yeah. the two brutal years he's had to start his career in Seattle. Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, is if you recall the last week's episode, I had Seattle as a play in game one. <laughs> I just thought that that's a team, you know, with – Playing with house money, I think, is always an interesting thing. You're playing against the cup champs. And then the Edmonton-LA series, this is going seven. I don't see how any chance that it's not. I mean, what a series that has been as well. You know, gutty effort. Kane the other night on one leg gets the game tied. He was an animal at the end of the game, even on that one leg. And then Edmonton ends up winning it in overtime. That was a fantastic game. And I can't wait for game five tonight. 
Yeah, no, that's going to be a, a hell of a game. And do you think Boston closes it out? Um, I tend to think they do tonight. Okay. I, to me, it looks like they've overwhelmed Florida just with all that. I mean, they're not even at full, full strength, and they're still just overwhelming. So I, I think that Boston closes out tonight, and I think Carolina closes out tonight. Yeah, I mean, I actually picked the, the, the Islanders to win that. But Sorokin hasn't been Ilya no. Sorokin. And that's who yeah. I thought was going to be the biggest X factor in that series. Me too. That's something that I said. I said, that's a team that can, a wild card team that can upset a division winner because the goaltending for the Islanders, I thought was stronger than Carolina. It hasn't played out that way. Yeah. It's been awesome, man. It's been a lot of fun. First round. I mean, these two weeks, forget about it. I mean, is there a better two weeks? And if you're a hockey fan, there's no better two weeks in sports than the first round of the playoffs. I love it. Yeah, I know. And it, it, I'm really curious to see who gets through. Like, because, you know, I was talking to someone about the West yesterday, and I picked the low-hanging fruit. I took Edmonton to come out of the West. But it's really a crapshoot. Like, you save for, like I said, save for Winnipeg and maybe Seattle. But now even look at the way Seattle is playing, but maybe not in terms of a cup contender. There's like five or six teams that are all in the same tier, in my opinion. Yeah. And yeah, and to be honest, I thought I was picking whoever came out of the Edmonton LA series to go to the cup final. I really like both those teams. And Tom McClellan's done a hell of a job neutralize or doing his best to neutralize McDavid. Obviously, Dreisaitl's been the standout guy in that series, but they've really tried to neutralize McDavid's speed through the neutral zone. And yep. obviously, um, uh, obviously, McClellan knows McDavid better than anyone. He was his first coach in the NHL. But mm-hmm. I think that LA deserves a lot of love for what they're doing right now and a hell of a pickup by uh, Rob Blake for Vladislav Gavrikov. He's done really well out there. Yeah, and you know you can put Kopitar out there to mitigate what McDavid does, especially in the neutral zone, because that's where he does all his damage, getting through the neutral zone and off the rush. But, um, you know, the, the thing is, too, is, you look at a team like Minnesota, and if they're going to get the goaltending from Gustafson, then they're going to be a team that's going to have to be reckoned with as well. There, so it, it's going to be it's going to be so interesting to see how these kind of play out and and how they move on, and we'll see where it all goes. And you know, some just some great hockey. I mean, if Minnesota can get by Dallas, and that's no, you know, and and say Seattle beats the, the Avs. Then all of a sudden you got Minnesota versus Seattle, and I like Minnesota there to get to a conference final and see if it's, you know, whether it's Vegas, Edmonton, or LA. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and I um, really like I, I like Minnesota, and I took Dallas, and I took a lot of series in seven, especially out west, just because it was a coin flip. I think the only series out west I didn't take in seven was uh, Colorado, Seattle. Because yeah. I just, it really was a coin flip in a lot of series for me. And I really like Minnesota too, but I just, I think that Dallas maybe is a bit deeper in every position. Obviously they have that star power and uh, Kirill Kaprizov, but you know, Dallas is no slouch either. You know, you have Rupe Hintz, you have, um, Robertson. You have uh, Robertson, that's the kid. And I just think they're overall deeper down the middle where with guys like Hintz, you have that young kid, Wyatt Johnson, you, I think you have Sagan playing on the wing right now, Pavelski playing on the wing right now, who could both play uh, center in a pinch. So I just think that Dallas was overall a bit deeper. And I was going to say they have the edge in goaltending, but that guy Gustafson is looking like a hell of a player right now. Yeah, he's, he's had a great year. I don't know if he can sustain it. I don't know, but uh, we'll see um, on that. Let's get to uh, the Flyers' latest news and notes. I know there's been a lot going on. And, you know, we talked last week about some initial candidates and some, 
some interviews that uh, had taken place or were going to take place that that you were reporting on the fourth period.com but let's let's get to uh the latest news you know we're a week later now uh, we're a couple weeks now removed from the regular season i guess we're what 12 days removed from the regular season at this point and you know u18s are going on right now so there's probably some attention there uh, but what's the latest on candidates for the president of hockey operations role uh, from Anthony DeMarco, the fourth period.com. Well, uh, I put out a tweet this morning that I believed that Dave Poulin would be getting an interview either today or tomorrow. And I have since confirmed, I'm pretty hundred percent say that uh, pretty sure to say rather that he was interviewed uh, at some point this morning. Um, I don't know how serious of a contender Dave Poulin will be. Uh, I've been, I've heard through the grapevine that it's been more, interest expressed on his part as opposed to Comcast part. Uh, I know that he's really kind of lobbied for himself and it could be a courtesy interview, but look, Dave Poulin's a very well-respected guy in the market, obviously around the, around the league as well. And in that organization. So maybe he comes in there and wows them. And uh, we know Scott Mellenby interviewed, I believe it was Friday or Thursday. Um, I think that there's a lot of respect for Scott Mellenby. I've heard that there is a lot of pushing from the scouting department for Scott Mellenby um, to maybe get that job. And then we know that Doug Wilson is in the mix in some capacity. That one, I'm not sure if it's already happened or it's going to happen, but I know that Doug Wilson's name was thrown out there as well. And I, as I said, late early last week, I believe, or late the week, the previous, I'm all getting mixed up with my days right now. I think Hammy Granado, in addition to Emily Costonge was getting some consideration as well. And, you know, it, it's going to be interesting because I'm led to believe that later on in the week, they'll probably be starting their second round of interviews. And, you know, they're getting, they're, they're really kind of casting a blank carpet over this or a wide, uh, a wide net rather over this to really diversify their candidate list and really look high and wide for the right person. And to this point, I don't think anyone in hockey ops has been briefed on anything. Like, I don't even think like the, the guy leading hockey ops and Danny Briere knows anything right now as to what is going on. So Comcast has kept it tight to the vest, but that's the latest I've heard. Okay. So let's, um, first of all, no Shiro is, is that uh, a non-starter at this point? He probably wants to be more of a general manager than a president of hockey ops. Yeah. Like from the beginning, it seemed like everything ran through Ray Shiro. He was their guy and they were almost kind of taken aback that he really wasn't interested from the onset. And, you know, I read, I, I said this, I think two weeks ago, but I reached out to someone in Minnesota and they wouldn't confirm or deny if the Flyers had reached out. So that leads me to believe that the Flyers did reach out for permission to talk to Ray Shiro, but it seems like he wants his hand on the wheel in day-to-day -day hockey ops. And I think that he'll probably get it based on what's going on in New Jersey. A lot of his fingerprints are on that team. And you look at maybe an opening in uh, Calgary, maybe he gets some consideration there, although it seems like the internal candidate Craig Conroy maybe has the inside track right now but yeah it seems like Ray Shiro early on in this process maybe told them to that he wasn't interested um, and I think that it was his job if he wanted it but I think what we're kind of learning here is that this is not a traditional president of hockey ops hire I think it's going to be a lot of working closely with Val Camillo I think it's going to be a lot on marketing the brand, uh, focusing a lot on the salary cap. They really want to fix the salary cap and run this thing like a good business. 
and kind of intertwine it with the business side of it because we have heard rumblings that there was a fractured relationship between the hockey and the business side over the last several years. And I also have gotten the sense that this person is not going to be like Danny Breer's boss. I think it's that a different is, hierarchy. Yeah, it, it's almost as if Danny Breer, the president, and Val Camilla will almost be like on an even playing field where you won't have the president be able to fire Danny or vice versa or Val get in there. It really feels like as opposed to a president being over Danny Breer, we're going to have both of them on an equal footing. And this is all, this isn't for sure. This is kind of like me connecting dots and some things that I've heard, but it feels like they're really splitting the responsibilities of running the hockey operations department evenly in two and Danny Breer will be con concentrating completely on hockey personnel and Ross. And he would report to Dan Hilferty. Exactly. Like Dan, Dan Hilferty is going to stay involved uh, to have a pulse on anything. Like if a team, if, if a change is needed to be made, but it really seems like, and again, can't say this a hundred percent certainty, but just what I've been hearing, it seems like they really want to prioritize properly distribute distributing responsibilities and not overloading anyone because I think one thing with Chuck Fletcher for all the wrong that he did I think there was a belief that he was overloaded and that he just had far too much on his plate as the president of hockey ops and the general manager dealing directly with Dave Scott the only one who dealt with Dave Scott directly from the hockey operations which I was told last night so I mean I think that they're really concentrating on not overloading any which position while also making it seem like, okay, this isn't going to be a hierarchy where there's one president who deals with Dan Hilferty. It feels like it's going to be like Val Camillo from the business side, the president of hockey ops to kind of be the buffer between everything. And then Danny Breer overseeing the hockey side. So it's not a traditional stacked hierarchy where you have owner, president, GM, assistant GM. It's more a plateau owner three across and yeah. they're all on equal footing and they don't report to each other. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, it's a different way to do it. And I know that, you know, there's been reporting that Billy King and his firm are involved and Billy's a really smart guy. Um, I worked with him at WIP. Uh, I was manager there at the time and um, he's a really smart guy and he's not a guy that goes, well, that's the way it's been done. So that's the way it should be done. So he could, his firm could have some influence in that as well. Um, let's talk about Bradtree Living because I brought him up the, last week and you and I talked about him briefly. He's out of Calgary. Um, is he a guy that's ready to graduate to the role of a president? Because I did some digging on Bradtree Living and from everybody I've talked to, he is an incredibly well-respected um, guy, a, a, a guy that's really good to his people. The culture that he surrounds himself with seems to fit with what they want to do as well. Nobody wants to hire bad culture. Let's, let's just be honest about that. Everybody wants to hire a good culture, but sometimes you don't know what a culture will be. And with a guy like Brad Tree Living, he's got a track record of very good culture and being a savvy guy. And let's face it, Ant, he was a guy that in the offseason, a lot of people talked about executive of the year after losing Goudreau, finding out Kachuk was not going to extend there, and then doing the best he could with a shitty situation. Uh, is Brad Tree Living a name that's come up? Has there been any contact or interest with Brad Tree Living? I haven't heard Brad Tree Living um, directly with the Flyers. Um, that means but he's I, getting the job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, they're going to keep us all in the dark and then come over the top rope. But what we have to remember about Brad Tree Living is he wasn't fired. 
he left of his own accord. They wanted yep. to keep Bradstreet living. And I believe it was, I, I hope I get this, but I think it was Frank Cervalli who said this, but it was essentially a power struggle between him and Daryl Sutter and Daryl Sutter won out that the owners did not want to move on from Daryl Sutter. And I also know that there's other people in that hockey ops department who felt that Daryl Sutter should, Daryl Sutter, easy enough for me to say, should stay on. So Brad Living could have stayed on in Calgary if he wanted to. It was him. As soon as ownership cuts your legs off, though, to make that move that you want to make, you're you're done. You got to get the Yeah, you're already finished because then you're compromising the chain of command. That's what you're doing. Because you're saying that the guy who's theoretically below the GM is getting the final say. So, I mean, it, it is unfortunate what happened there. Obviously, Don Maloney, now the president of Hockey Ops, he has a ton of experience. And you bring up the respect of Brad Tree Living. It goes well beyond just Brad. Like, his father, Jim Tree Living, is very involved in uh, Hockey Canada. Obviously, he's been a staple and a cornerstone of uh, Canada's version of Shark Tank, Dragon's Den. And mm-hmm. the owner of Boston Pizza, not that that matters. But, I mean, so he has a family lineage that's all that's been involved in hockey. Uh, this is just speculation, so take it with a grain of salt. But he just screams Pittsburgh to me. I don't know why. I just – I Brad Tree Living screams Pittsburgh. And the other part about this is, is that I don't know how many of these hockey guys, for lack of better terms – are interested in the Flyers president of hockey ops job because I think everyone kind of knows that Danny Breer is the chosen guy. And, you know, I was speaking to someone before and we talked about Doug Wilson and Scott Mellenby and two very well, well well-respected guys, but are they going to be the right type of candidate given what Comcast is looking for? Like is Brad tree living going to want to come in and work closely with Val Camillo Camillo and promoting the brand and focusing solely on the cap and not really having a say in hockey ops. Like that, that's a question I think that maybe needs to be asked. And that's where the fair criticism comes in is are the Flyers doing it the right way? Like, you know, I've said Mm -hmm. for a while that, Maybe you should have just made Danny Breer the president of hockey ops and have him bring in a general manager. You know, he was kind of groomed to do that role, given his position with the main Mariners as the governor and the president of that franchise. So, I mean, there's a lot of fair criticism that I think that can be thrown Comcast way for the way that they've decided to do this, because it does kind of feel like you're limiting the amount of candidates that you're giving yourself because of the job description and how unconventional conventional you're looking to presumably structure your organization yeah yeah i agree and how it all plays out remains to be seen you know is is the structure that uh, plateaued hierarchy like i talked about if it's somebody in the president role like emily constangay or cami granado or you know someone else in that way or is if it's brad tree living or scott mellenby is it more hierarchical, you know, that all that'll remain to be seen. Cause I I agree. I think a guy like Mellonby is going to want to have influence. Certainly it's the GM's decision, but have a a good amount of influence on uh, how the roster is built and stuff like that. Those are hockey guys. They're not as interested in liaisoning with business exclusively. So I think that that's, that's an important point that you bring up for sure. And you bring up Cami Granado. Like, I think that she's already been interviewed. Um, I think she was probably one of the early are these ones in person, by the way, or are they are these virtual? That, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Like, look, Comcast has kept this. Very, I, I, they've kept this very tight to the vest. Um, you know, I've had to go unconventional routes to figure out what's happening. But, 
But I mean, it's, it's a fair question. Like, I, I mean, Cami Granado seems to check the boxes that they want. I mean, based on everything that it seems like they're looking for it, because I don't even think that they knew what they were looking for. Like, I think they brought in Glasberg and his, uh, his, what his committee, what, what was it? His agency, the coach's agency. And they yep. brought in Billy King to try and really coach and guide Hilferty and Val and whoever else is involved in this into really trying to figure out what they want. So maybe they learned early on here from the people they brought in to help. Like, okay, well, if Danny Briere is your guy to oversee hockey ops, maybe you're not going to be looking for a conventional guy to oversee hockey ops. Like Jim Rutherford in, um, in Vancouver or kind of Jeff Gorton in Montreal. Like you're kind of looking for like, maybe not a liaison, but like someone who's right in the middle of everything like in the middle of Comcast and in, in the middle of hockey and in the middle of Val Camillo and the business side with the Wells Fargo center, like that kind of seems to be what their job description is. And if that's the case, like, does it make sense to bring in a Scott Mellenby or Doug Wilson or Brad Living? Yeah, that's a good point. And where this all goes, you know, if they're going to get in the second, you know, kind of trim it, trim it down and focus on second interviews, then we could be, you know, within a couple of weeks away of, you know, getting getting resolution on this because I, I don't think they should rush it. I don't think there is a rush right now. But you know, the the next thing up for the Flyers is the NHL draft lottery in 13 days. That's the next element, right? By the way, I've been on this draft lottery simulator like a freaking maniac every day because <laughs> I'm a freaking narcissist. And like today, I was hitting that thing, hitting that thing, waiting to see how many times it took the Flyers to get to number one. They get to number two a couple times, but it took me about 18 you know, spins, if you will, the freaking today was, I'm glad the draft lottery is not today. Cause if it was the Washington capitals are winning it, but boy, <laughs> they ended up with the top pick like seven times and they have a 6% chance flyers of 6.5, but geez, that is a nightmare scenario that kept showing up for me today. I'm glad the, like I said, it's not today, but uh, it, we'll see. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, let's let me get this uh, thing up here from Ryan. Ryan's always messaging in. Sometimes this stuff doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But Ryan says, um, if the Flyers who are light years away will build their team and eventually seven years away become a team that plays the style of Carolina just with better skater speed. Everybody's all yelling outside. Um, <laughs> scoring I, I could hear it on my end. Yeah. Um, this notion that the Flyers are, as he said, light years away seven, eight years away. Nobody in the league, by the way, from where they currently sit is seven to eight years away. The Anaheim Ducks below, they are not seven to eight years away. The only reason why they wouldn't be competitive for seven to eight years is by bad decision-making, drafting, and developing. Yeah. Well, here, here's the oh, thing. I'm I was... shut my door. You talk, go. <laughs> okay, I'll steer the ship for now. Um, I think that the Flyers, if they were to win one of the top two lotteries, one of the top two picks, rather, uh, there's a case to be made that they could squeak into the playoffs next year. Because if, like, obviously a lot of other things would have to break right. But if, let's say, 75% of the kids' development stays linear, and Atkinson and Katori come back, and they are 70% of what they once was, and then you drop in Connor Bedard and he lives up to all, all the hype. Are they not in the same stratosphere as the New York Islanders? 
Are they mm-hmm. not in the same stratosphere as, let's say, the Pittsburgh Penguins who just missed? Like, if you drop Connor Bedard on this team and a lot of other things stay equal, like, even if you're not banking on Katori and Atkinson to come back, forget those two guys. Just the same team that they came back this year, but they come back with Connor Bedard. And you presume that seven to three quarters of the kids' development stays linear and the right kids, right? Like, I mean, if let's say, you know, Wade Allison's development. York. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Frost. I, I have no fear about Kate's. Kate's He's already sense. there. He's already yeah. won the, but he was like, you see, even at an, analytically, he was in the top 1% in terms of defensive numbers. Like the guy legitimately, you could have made a case for a Selkie uh, win. Yeah, or a nomination at all, yeah. uh, at very least. Like, you drop Connor Bedard on this team, and even if he's a point-per-game player, and you get some more health, like Farabee comes back healthy and Konechny kind of stays on the tracks a bit, this team the, could yeah, be Connor Gauthier the year after, and he, you know, plays yeah. decently. I'm not yeah, saying he has to be exactly. an all-star or anything, but yeah. If he comes in and he becomes Pierre-Luc Dubois, which a lot of people have drawn that comparison since he was drafted last year, you could be in business. Now, that's a big if. Winning the lottery is the most massive if of all time you can make the case for. But it just goes to show that the Flyers aren't missing quantity. They're missing quality. And yes, it's not easier to go out and get that high-end talent, go get that quality. But if one piece of luck breaks their way in a week's time, I think, or two weeks' time? 13 days. 13 days. It could change a bunch of stuff for this franchise. Yep. Things, a timeline on a team can change very quickly. Like the Rangers sent out that letter. Now the Rangers are in a different situation because the Rangers, when they stripped it down, they didn't totally strip it down. They didn't trade Mika Zibanejad. They didn't trade Chris Kreider. They didn't trade their goalie asset in Igor Shosturkin. They got Artemi Panarin who wanted to go to one place, New York City. They got Adam Fox, who forced his way there. They traded for Truba and extended them. They, they made some savvy moves, and they, they pivoted quickly. And, you know, look at the New Jersey Devils. Now, the Flyers are not the Devils. The Devils last year finished with 63 points. Flyers finished with 61. Not this year, the year prior. The Devils this year were an absolute wagon. But they did have young players in Jack Hughes, and they made some very good moves. They signed Hamilton the year before. And, you know, they already had Nico Heischer, so they're in a different situation. But this notion that it takes seven or eight years, I think, is total, complete bullshit. If it Look at the Seattle Kraken. Two years ago, they didn't have a fucking player or a coach. They hired Hack <laughs> and Ron Francis. And what did everybody say at their expansion draft? What the hell are they doing? Yeah. Right? It was like, what are they trying to build? They're tied. Yeah. Two, two games apiece with the Cup champs right now in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs in year two. They didn't have a farm system, a pot to piss in, <laughs> right? Yeah. And now they're in the playoffs. So this notion that any team is seven, eight years away, you know who's seven, eight years away? Buffalo is 12 years away because that's they haven't done it right. But that's yeah. not to say that they're seven, eight years away. Yeah, well, I, I just think that Like, look, it's been so bad here for so long and the Flyers were chasing the wrong destination for a long time. And I think that was a massive issue is that they were concentrating on the short fix, getting back into the playoffs, like just sneaking in, hoping best that could happen. 
But now they've changed course. And luckily for Danny Briere and the new regime that's going to come in is that Chuck Fletcher didn't do that last summer. The worst thing that they could have done last summer is trading that first round pick to bring it out to Brinkhead or yep. trading that first round pick to clear enough room for Johnny Gaudreau. Yep. That yeah, would have been like, man, oh man, brutal. That would have been fuck all those people that were going nuts about Gaudreau. And I got caught up in it too because I want to see the player. Like I, I want to watch 82 games with a dynamic player, but he's going to be turning 30 this summer. It's 71 points this year. It, that's yeah. it, that's not going to that contract's not going to age well. Now it could if they end up with Bedard, and it could you know exacerbate it. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm just getting frustrated already. Uh, anonymous message in and says Billy King's tracker in the NBA is not good. Ask Nets fans how they feel about it. Yeah, but how many GMs in the NBA do their fan base feel good about? The NBA is a stacked league where stars determine where they go. They got all the power in the world. All of it, right? You cannot compare the NBA. And I'm not saying Billy King was a great GM in the NBA. He had to, for his time here with the Sixers, he had to try and build a team around Allen Iverson. And nobody wanted to play with Iverson because he never gave up the ball, right? So well, he when, was he, when was he in charge of the Sixers? Like early 2000s? Yeah, it was, it was basically him with Larry Brown. And then a little bit after Larry Brown left. And, you know. He had to try and build a team with, I mean, the one year in 01, they had, they, they started out 42 and 14 and Theo Ratliff got hurt and they had to trade from a tumbo, but he had to build a team with guys that were defenders and unselfish players like Eric Snow and, you know, those kind of guys and it, George Lynch and Matumbo, like I said, eventually and other guys, but it, it, it was a hard, it's a hard thing to do in the NBA when the players determine where they go with such regularity, they can opt out and force trades. And you saw what happened recently with the nets, you know, they trade for Ben Simmons, who's a donkey Durant forces his way out. Harden forces his way out. That's a different league. What I will tell you is this though, anonymous, the dude is incredibly smart and we're not asking him to build a roster for the flyers there. His firm's there to lend assistance on targeting candidates and focusing the interviews. That's what that's what his firm's there to do. I believe Billy. I know Billy. So um, personally. So I, he's a guy that I do believe in. So we'll, we'll see where it all goes. I think this is this is going to be a, a fascinating time. But th- again, this notion that they're seven, eight years away. If they're seven, eight years away, then everybody should be fired again. You know, because well, yeah. th- the reason why Buffalo is missed isn't because they haven't had good opportunity to get good players. They drafted number one. They got Owen Power. They got Rasmus Dahlin. They drafted number two. They got Jack Eichel. So if they can't build a fucking team around that, then that is not a team being seven, eight years away. That is organizational malpractice, which they practiced for a long time. I think they got it right now with Kevin Adams and Granado as the coach. They finally, the owners finally tucked away in Pagula. And I love them. Because he built that huge building up at Penn State, made my alma mater, put him <laughs> on the map. But shit. Yeah. No, honestly, I, I think Buffalo has gotten it right now. Uh, finally, at long last, it only took them, what, like three general managers and seven head coaches. But no, I, I and look, we have to realize like the NHL is built on parity. Like that's what the NH, the NHL is designed to have massive turnover. Like, look, mm-hmm. like, it happens all the time. Like, look, Seattle gets in in their second year of existence. You know, St. Louis is now on the outside looking in. Like, it's 
I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of turnover. And look, the Flyers don't deserve the benefit of the doubt right now, obviously, based on how they've operated. But this is a brand new regime in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. look, you still have some hangovers, like Barry Hanrahan's there, Brent Flair's still there. But, you know, like, Alan McCauley's a relatively new guy in there. He's only been on the job for 13 months. Tom Minton, the same thing. Even if, you know, I had one person said, like, yeah, I don't know what Chuck was doing by giving like those random titles to Tom Mitten and Alan McCauley. So, I mean, there is yeah. uh, there is a valid point there. And then at the very top of the organization, there's a brand new guy running things in Dan Hilferty. So, I mean, you, you want to give some level of the benefit of the doubt just because it's new, like kind of just like I'll trust you until you lie to me or innocent until proven guilty. Like that's the mentality I typically like to have. But I do understand that, look, Dane Briere's been in the organization, Flair's been in the organization, Minton, Macaulay. I get it if you don't want to do that. But I do think that it's not like they're starting from nothing. It's not like Danny Briere's taking over from, you know, the Flyers in 2014 and he has to redo everything. Like, There's a lot of guys here that are going to be parts of the future, I think. Um, let's talk about some players. Proveroff in Sanheim, what's the latest there? Because we're, we're expecting some attrition on the blue line. Yeah, so I look, Proveroff, I think I, mean, I, I think it's the secrets out that the Flyers are will obviously entertain moving him and that I think the player will welcome a deal. I do think it's important to remember here that the Flyers are not going to give him away and they're comfortable keeping him. We saw how he was deployed under John Tortorella. He's towards his guy. And if you if you save for, let's say, Nick Sealer, he was the only one not to end up in John Torrell's doghouse at one point or another. He was consistently deployed as the number one across the board, and he eats a ton of those minutes. He's a gamer, all that. But given where the Flyers are at organizationally, I think that he's a player that could be best served to find a new home. I think that the template the Flyers are going to be looking for are the Matias Heckholm and Jacob Chikrin deals. I think they want to get back into the first round. They want another first round pick because they like some guys, uh, notably uh, Sandin Polita, the right shot defenseman. He's a guy I think that they really like. And if you could get back into, let's say, that mid-teen range, maybe you get a shot at him. But I know some what the Flyers told me the other day that they don't foresee him going past number 14. So Provorov is a guy... I mean, I want to say I think he's going to go, but I know that the Flyers are not going to entertain low balls for him. So they're comfortable bringing him back. So it's not a slam dunk. It's not like someone that they feel like they have to trade. They want to get value for him. And I think they're going to be looking at the – or I, I know they're going to be looking at the Eckholm and Chikrin deals as a template. Sanheim, they view him in the same light as Provrov, player-wise. Like, obviously, personalities, that's a different thing. But in terms of how they're viewed as a player, you know, you're, Sanheim's one year older – you know, he could be part of the future and he could not. The, the contract is a big thing. Obviously, like Provorov's contract is much more attractive than Sanheim. Two, two years left at 6.75 as, as opposed to eight years at 6.25. But he is a guy that they would entertain moving as well. A hundred percent, they would entertain that. Uh, it would be about find the right fit. Like, I don't think you're going to get um, a chicken or at home return for um, Provera, uh, uh, for Sanheim, but I could see like maybe if you're willing to take back a bad contract and the other thing is is that maybe you look at a team like Calgary, Mackenzie Weger, a right shot guy, I think he's a bit older I think his contract is kicking in right away 
simultaneous with Sanheim. So I think that the Flyers will explore maybe he was the market comparable for Sanheim. (laughs) Yeah, I was told that literally Uyghur's deal kind of helped the Flyers in a way because Sanheim was maybe looking for more. So I think they they have the exact same contract. Uyghur's a right shot, Sanheim's a left shot. Obviously, he played junior hockey in Calgary. So I would say it's more likely than not Sanheim gets traded, but I wouldn't be surprised if they find a taker in that regard. Really, more likely than not on Sanheim. What about um, Kevin Hayes? Where we, I mean, the player in his exit interview seemed awfully, you know, you know, certain that he was going to be moved and said, I'll probably hear something around the draft. Yeah, so look, I, I think uh, our buddy Anthony Sanfilippo brought it up on Snow the Goalie that it, it seems like he's destined for Columbus in a lot of ways. I spoke to someone last night. They, they are going to revisit uh, Columbus um, it seems like that's the likely destination for Kevin Hayes. Um, I, I know that the Flyers want to, they don't want to retain more than 2.1. They they feel firmly that if you make Kevin Hayes a $5 million player, that that's a fair deal. Um, but who knows if the other GM will f- feel the same way. Like I, I've heard that they want to do right by Kevin Hayes and they would be willing to retain up to 50% of the facilitated deal. I don't know if, that if Danny Briere feels the same way, because I had heard that under Chuck Fletcher's regime. So maybe Briere feels differently in terms of retaining, you know, 50%. I think 30 to 35% is the sweet spot that would land him in that high four million there's a, dollar range. There's an important question here too. Do you want to retain 50% so you get a greater return? Or do you want to retain 30%, 2.1 million and, and have, the value not being what the return is, but also the the additional cap space. Yeah, like that that is a very good question. I get the sense that they rather just retain less and get less in return. That's what yeah. I think. I think I, I that they, I, I think their big priority is cleaning up a lot of the cap, and that that goes up beyond Danny Breer and hockey ops. I think that goes as high as Comcast. So I think that with Kevin Hayes, he's the type of guy that they would be willing to, you know, just take a maybe pennies on the dollar is the right word, but less than what he's actually worth as a player to only retain 30% or whatever $2.1 million yeah. is because I think and they the firmly, yeah, yeah that, that's what they want. They they don't, they think that $5 million for Kevin Hayes is a fair value for other teams, but we'll see if uh, I guess specifically Columbus feels the same way. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, Ryan Ellis of all people, because yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, we're all assuming it's career over. What's the latest on Ryan Ellis and his contract? He's not going to retire and forfeit the money. We, I think we know that. Yeah, yeah. He's owed, I think, $22 million in real money. Um, so that's a, he's not going to walk away from that, right? That's, that's no. like uh, Why would 16 times the amount that I'll ever make in my lifetime. You know what I mean? So he's not going to walk away. Still is a belief. Uh, I spoke to someone last night that he is never going to play again. But his contract is insured. It's an insured contract, so that's a very important detail. And they're going to try and move him. Now, this isn't a situation that, you know, they have to move him. Like last year, they're in no rush to move him. You know, they could stash him on LTIR till the end of that contract. Like, they're not going to be, you know, looking. They're not pressed to move that money. They're not in a position where they need to move that cap space. And look, as soon as the season starts, you LTIR him and you get that money, but it doesn't accrue cap space. 
but I don't, I know that they are not going to pay to dump Brian Elfless. It's not going to be a situation like Shane Goss's bear or like what the Vegas Golden Knights did with Weber's contract by dumping him to Arizona. Now, there's one thing that I, or one comparison that I think is very fair, and that's the Weber Dadnov trade last summer, where the Vegas Golden Knights took on Weber's stash on LTIR to get that immediate cap space, and the, and the, uh, the Habs took on Evgeny Dadnov. I think that's something that the Flyers will be looking to do. And I look at the Vancouver Canucks, like they're a team that really wants to liberate short-term cap space. And I see like, hmm, exactly. So I look at that team and I say, could you swap Ryan Ellis for, let's say, Tyler Myers, where, you know, the Canucks take on Ellis, they stash him on LTIR, they liberate $6 million of cap space right away. The Flyers bring in Tyler Myers. Sorry, as my cats start fighting in the back. And um, and then you have Tyler Myers, who's going to play for you for a season. You're not committed beyond this year. And maybe that guy can give you some value on the trade front and also help your team. He's a right shot defenseman who could play on your yep. second pair. Yeah. Um, it's essentially just letting a, a team cut bait from a player that's going to play by being able to take a salary back and put it on the shelf immediately and not be dinged with it. It's a, it's an interesting scenario. We'll see how that, you know, that part of it plays out. And well, that'd be interesting, you know, to, to grab Tyler Myers and all you're giving up is LTIR guy in, in Ryan Ellis is never going to play again. Uh, what about frost? What, what's his contract look like? Well, well, frost is a guy that they really feel like is part of the future. Now they really do is, like is the he way he responds. Two year 1.6. Like, I, I they they're preparing for it. That's the contract that they're preparing. Like, look, the, much of the Flyers brass, if not all of them, are over in Finland right now at the U18s. I was told last night that Danny Briere took the red eye out to get there for the medal round. So I think that that's something they're going to tackle when they get back uh, to North America. Um, it's more likely than not that it's going to be a bridge deal. That seems where it's heading. You know, Chuck Fletcher really kind of went trigger happy a bit sometimes with avoiding the bridge deals. Sometimes it worked out, like in the case of Konechny and Provorov. And sometimes it was like, uh, was that the right move to make, let's say, like a Joel Farabee where the verdict is still out? So I, I think it will be a bridge deal. Now, I don't think it's completely off the table that they would go long term with him because I do think they feel that strongly about Morgan Frost being part of the future here. I do think they're really impressed with the way that he responded to adversity finally. But more likely than not, I think it's going to be a bridge deal. I just think the long-term contract part is important to put out there just to kind of show what kind of confidence the organization has in the player. Yeah, that that can make a big difference for the player as well, just mentally. Yeah. All right, man. I'm exhausted after this episode. It's a news dump. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. On a Tuesday. There was yeah. a lot there. Yeah, came wow. over the top rope with that. Yeah, you did. You you emptied the clip today on the program, man. Good job. Mm-hmm. Um, check out Ant stuff on the fourth period.com. Uh, help following all the details there and on at uh, on Twitter at a demarco25. And uh, we'll see where this all goes. We'll stay on top of it. So uh, make sure you check in and um, we'll see where everything goes. And great stuff. Let's uh, wrap it up there. That's episode 63 of Stick to Hockey Live. We'll be back next time. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And we'll talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey Live. It's just another day. It was just another fight. It was words turned into sentences. It was doomed to not be right. 